0: all right hi everyone welcome to pete chats portugal where i talk about portugal the rich history that people pretty much know nothing or care nothing about uh, of course i'm here with colin we just did colin chats china but colin do you want to do what you do yeah yeah well um
1: I do. Uh first of all, what are you drinking today, zach
0: Oh, well, I am drinking a a coffee liqueur coffee. I I a spiked coffee uh with a little bit of a hint of uh cinnamon on it for the spices. Uh, I did do Ooh, that too. Nice, nice, um yeah. but yes, I am Brazilian, re- Portugal. Re-
1: so what do, what do you ha- oh, I'm just drinking regular coffee. I'm at my yeah. parents, so you yeah. know I got to yeah, I got to drive tonight and take my daughter hmm. back. Uh,
0: okay, okay,
1: Now, what would you bring for me today?
0: Well, we're continuing with our Iberian Union piece for this episode in about three more parts, I think is what I have. Either way, uh, we're on to the Iberian Union, part four, Habsburg Rule. So where did we leave off? Uh, The last quote from the last episode was, it is said that Philip II remarked of his new kingdom after inheriting Portugal, quote, I inherited it, I bought it, I conquered it. And I ended it by saying Habsburg Rule, a fucking Portuguese nightmare. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Why is Habsburg Rule a fucking Portuguese nightmare? Nightmare. So uh, this is where shit just all went to hell for Portugal. Portugal was at the peak, at the apex of the imperial game. They were winning it all, making more money, spending less money. They didn't need to conquer large swaths of land; they just needed to conquer the trade routes, and that's what they did with their feitoria system and their outposts in Brazil and Africa. And they were dominating and monopolizing spices, sugar, ivory, gold in Africa. Of course, the transatlantic slave trade was their kind of their thing at the beginning. Terrible, tragic. But, um, you know, this is, I call it a long Iberian nightmare, you you know, because it's a shitstorm for them. It's a long Portuguese nightmare, I should say. Um, And this is what we've been discussing or getting to the whole time, the Iberian Union. It's finally here. Um, All resistance has been crushed. King Philip II is King Philip I of Portugal. He ruled uh, sort of in a Scottish, British, English way, if that helps people understand. Um, uh, It was a personal union of crowns. Uh, One king ruled two different crowns. And that was a way to placate the nobles, placate the Portuguese. Uh, I will be your king. You will have autonomy. And it was like that for a while. So Spain and Portugal united in a personal union. Um, But the problem with being ruled by Spain, part of Spain, having Spain's king, is you get all Spain's enemies. And Spain was only good at about one thing in this period, making enemies, pissing people off. Um, Especially after the Protestant Reformation. They were really good at it. So Portugal almost immediately finds itself a tool to be used against the Dutch uh, and the British. Uh, The Dutch will seize overseas portions of their empire in Africa, Brazil, and the East Indies, even Britain, their oldest friend. I mean, Peace of uh, Windsor, the Treaty of Windsor, oldest alliance in Europe still existing today was basically shut down during this period where they're like, fuck it, you're Spain, you're Spain. And I mean, with good reason too, which we'll talk about. So Habsburg rule lasts from 1580 to 1640, the Iberian Union. Philip II, III, and IV are Philip I, II, and III of Portugal. It was a period of utter decline for Spain, so it's naturally not going to be that great for Portugal either. I mean, it's it's the, the periods overlap, but Portugal's always a little good better at bouncing back. But really, Spain didn't focus much on helping Portugal. They caused all these problems for them and left them to their own devices, but Portugal didn't have the means to deal with these problems, and Spain didn't help them. In fact, they always made it worse. Uh, A council was set up, a council for Portugal, and various councils were set up in Portugal because that's the system Philip used, a uh, conciliar system, Uh, but they did have a great deal of autonomy. The idea was to keep them as Portuguese as possible, but on big picturesque issues. If Portugal's going to war, it's going to go to Madrid first, all right, Uh, but, you know, they were also subject to Philip's idiocy, every Philip's idiocy. From Philip the Third to the Fourth, but Philip the Second, the first one. We gotta talk about it. We know it's coming. The Spanish Armada. I mean we've talked about it on the show with Philip the Second, but the Spanish Armada departs from Lisbon Harbor during the Iberian Union, eight years after the personal union of these two crowns begins, and about half of that fleet was Portuguese ships. It departed from Portuguese waters, it left from Lisbon, and it really devastated the Portuguese navy, which was really all they had. In the 13, 14, 1500s, the Portuguese navy was it. And it's really no surprise then that Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth of England would turn and say, well, fuck it, we're going to fund rebellions in Portuguese colonies where we can to try and get advantageous trade routes. The English this is where it gets interesting. I always wondered like, did they just know that they were going to go fuck over Portugal or like, did they wait for a reason? So actually the English were the first to kind of encounter and capture a ship coming from the around the tip of Africa uh, from, from China and the Indies. It contained 900 tons of merchandise. It was about a half a million pounds of goods coming from China and India on one Portuguese vessel, which was at that time half of England's entire treasury. And they took it in one ship. And they're like, well, fuck, <laughs> you know, we can't can just raid like pirates. We're going to get in on this trade. And this was repeated in 1603 when the Dutch have their, uh, you know, armistice and independence sort of, or a degree of independence. They captured a Portuguese vessel, vessel the Santa Catarina. Uh, and basically the prize was too rich to ignore. When the Portuguese demanded it back, a comparable to what I just said, They're, they didn't. And, and diplomatic relations broke down and war broke out. Uh, kind of beginning, as we will see, part of the... Uh, Dutch-Portuguese War, which I hate that it's called the Dutch-Portuguese War, but I guess I'd call it the Luso-Dutch War sounds prettier, but still. Uh, Basically, this came down to fighting over the four choking points of the Portuguese-East Indian trade, Uh, Gao, Bombay, Malacca, and Macau, all right? Uh, These were all threatened, and eventually Malacca fell, and this gave Dutch access and control to portions of India and the Indian Ocean trade uh they would use uh, a local rebellion in salon or you know sri lanka to capitalize on the portuguese and capture that territory which would be theirs for a very long time. If you look at a map of World War II, they're the Dutch East Indies that Japanese take over. Um, Of course, this success led to the aptly named Sugar Wars in the Americas, um, where the Dutch are like, well, fuck, that was really easy to do. Uh, So, oh, we're running out of time. Oh, we have 10 minutes left. We're running out of time. Uh, They've got a 10-minute warning. I love that. Okay, so we'll be good with 10 minutes. Either way. Uh, So they're like, fuck, this was easy let's go take their American shit too, you know? And so they do. They go and they seize Brazil in these sugar wars, Our portions of it. Uh, so, you know, I guess I would say it was during the reigns of Philip III and IV that the empire was really just... Crushed. The Dutch seized Ceylon, Sri, that is Sri Lanka, trade routes to Japan, the northeast portion of Brazil, and several uh, territories along the African coastline, especially including Angola. And almost all of northeastern Brazil fell to the Dutch, including the most profitable colony of Pernambuco, which would be theirs until a certain time we're going to talk about later, because that's a really important part of the Iberian Union story. Even the very first Feitoria Almina, the first one that was established on the uh, golden, goldish ivory coast, right in the middle there uh, in Guinea, uh, fell to the Dutch. All right. So the rich imperial history of the Portuguese Feitoria system is just being crushed. So from 1602, 1603, for the next 60 years, the Dutch Portuguese war rages. It ends at a stalemate. Both sides get a little bit back. Uh, you'll see. We'll talk about how the, the Dutch kind of lose a lot because of the Portuguese resurgence after the Iberian Union ends. Uh, but I will note, the Spanish didn't leave them high and dry. There was a Luso-Spanish fleet that did recapture much of the Brazilian territory that was taken. Salvador de Baja actually fell, but it was recaptured in 1625. Um, a lot of the territory in Brazil was recaptured, but Africa and the East Indies took a lot longer. And in fact, most of the East Indies, I'd say about 50% of the East Indies, fell to the Dutch and the English and other powers that kind of got a grasp on those. Um I mean, Pernambuco itself, the largest, most profitable sugar colony in Brazil, would not be liberated until Portugal was free. I'm sorry, I'm trying to watch that clocks. So what's, what's worse is even the economic ramifications. It's not just that they lost the colonies. They lost the monopolies. They lost their sugar monopoly. As Spain lost territory to France, Britain, and the Dutch, in the Caribbean, sugar became... Away, displaced. Caribbean sugar displaced Brazilian sugar. At the same time, they were losing their monopoly over sugar in Brazil itself. They lost their gold trade in Africa, their ivory trade in Africa. They're, they were no longer the sole proprietors of the transatlantic slave trade, which fuck them for that. But still, my point is, every single monopoly, including the spice trade, which was so lucrative that they didn't care if Spain got the Americas in the Treaty of Tordesilla, you know? So they lose all of these monopolies, which gave them such a leg up. And the real test to it all, and Colin, you can look at this and I'll share it, uh, you know, on the Patreon page, I'll try and get them both. If you look at a map of the Portuguese empire circa 1550, and then the Dutch empire 100 years later in 1650, and I do it slide show A, I used to do it slide show A, slide show B, slide A, slide B, and I go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, then show them side by side. They look almost identical, almost identical, Um, you know, and then to make matters worse, Philip III also would even try to reduce Portugal to the status of a royal province, meaning they were no longer an autonomous kingdom. And that pissed off the nobles. Philip III was an idiot. Well, they were. They were. And um, the old nobility was pissed, rightfully so. But Spain still had the power to crush them. And it wasn't until during the Thirty Years' War when shit really started to go south. Cautuc Oliveres and Philip IV, their policies in the Thirty Years' War and their Dutch First policies were very costly to Portugal. Uh, Increased taxation and conscription under Philip IV, uh, when coupled with this sort of constant filling of Portuguese government positions with Spaniards, kind of pushed the Portuguese too far. And we will save that for next time. uh, When a French-backed, rebellion in Catalonia breaks out. Opportunity seems to be on Portugal's doorstep to finally rid themselves of this long Spanish nightmare that they're in. Uh, and that's going to be this episode of Pete Chats Portugal on the Iberian Union. Cullen, you're a, a man of questions, and we still have six minutes left of our recording time. Pretty so good.
1: I, I wrote um, some down.
0: Yeah,
1: um, if I could take you back to Philip II. Uh, he wrecks the Spanish uh, economy with mm-hmm. inflation. Did the same inflation problem happen to the
0: Portuguese? The I don't think they had to deal with an inflation and problem, and but a devaluation problem. Their devalued. sugar and spices were either taken or devalued by competition. Uh, you know, competition is good for the consumer. Okay. It's, you know, but for the monopolist, it's terrible. <laughs> so right. they, I, they don't think inflation, not in the same way. And that Spanish silver isn't going to hit them. In the same way because they didn't benefit from spanish silver spain didn't really i would never say that i've read that spain did these great things to help portugal in their empire ever you would think oh they get all the benefits being part of spain they didn't they didn't get anything you know they got spain they they lost spain as an enemy which they dealt with for years and now they got the dutch who they couldn't deal with the english who they couldn't deal with
1: wow so would you would you then credit uh back to uh the piracy issue with the english pirates um hitting, like, the Portuguese ships. Would you credit that uh, that age of piracy? That was something that, uh, that was spurned by the...
0: I've always said the Dutch Republic were nationalized pirates. That's all they ever were. They seized other people's land, territories, and ships. Half their economy during their wars of independence was run by seizing the Spanish tre- treasure fleet one year. You know, they operated that way. So did the right. English privateers. In the early years right. of the English, French, and Dutch in the Caribbean... Francis Drake... Yeah, I mean the piracy was basically the way it was. If you consider Spain could had control, but I mean the Golden Age of piracy probably didn't hit Portugal near as hard because the Caribbean was the homeland. Right, right. I don't know about true. Brazilian piracy. I know the well, that. Well, that
1: current... that treasure ship off that yeah. you told me about that that's that was interesting about mm-hmm. uh, being half the economy
0: of, of Great Britain. Half, I was One. shocked. I was like, oh. wow. So that's how much money Portugal's making. And that's how much they're losing. In this period, and it's happening not only by piracy or or private ship like, piracy, but yeah. it's 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 just one thing after another. I mean, it just when I show you, when you look at the maps, you'll see you'll see other other thoughts. The the third thought
1: or point to um, when we study about the Portuguese being in India, with Gao and those places, yeah. uh, they had a firm toehold on the subcontinent. Yeah, and it, it should have really been a Portuguese colony. So you're saying that the English well, kind of dug them out of each of those enclaves?
0: So Gal, they never lose that. They always hold their foothold in India, and they always have a, a foothold in India. But you might recall during uh, the marriage of Catherine of Braganza and Charles II of England, they actually ceded Bombay to the English, beginning English presence in India. So there was a point, though, where Bombay and Malacca and, and Macau and Gao, it allowed them firm control over the Indies, India, and China and all of those trade routes. And they have picked their battles for 50 to 100 years and, and won out in that sense. So all in all, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's They didn't really lose that chokehold on it, but they had to share it with other people after 1660 to get England's friendship back. Any other thoughts as we wrap this up?
1: What was the fate of Philip IV, the guy who ruined it for
0: Portugal? Ah, that'll be the story for next time. Philip, uh, the okay. fourth survives, yeah. Yeah, Philip IV survives the the 30 years war, uh, but he will also be the one, the last Habsburg king of Portugal. And that's where we're going next when we talk about the Braganza Revolution or the Portuguese Restoration War. Um after bringing this to an and then we'll look at a few unique stories as we wrap it up and come full circle to that Sebastianism that we talked about in the very first episode of the Iberian Union, and then we'll get out of the Iberian Union and go somewhere else. Actually, we have a couple of, I'm going to go back and cover a few Zhaos that we missed. Uh, so just one, Zhao the second. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, cool. But yeah, any other thoughts or do we want to wrap this up? Uh, I think we're good. We're good. Okay. Yeah. Well, sure. Cullen, uh, you know, this has been another great round of chess Portugal and of course Colin Chats China. Uh, Thank you for coming on. And as always, I appreciate all that you do. And listeners, thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. Cheers. Cheers. As my my mug says, you're the best. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to stop the recording. Cheers.